Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest calls himself a creative executive with a rather impressive resume in digital marketing, harking all the way back to the early days when he helped to launch Howard Dean's presidential campaign's website in 2004. And if you don't know who Howard Dean is, because you were too young to, to listen to that part, you can Google him and, and look him up. Um, and he was also one of the very first person to sign on to Twitter, hence being able to get the handle at Ryan New York. In addition to his full-time gig, which we will talk about today, Ryan advises startups and coaches new businesses at both Harvard Business School and NYU, where he has been a guest speaker in my class as well. He serves as a senior advisor to Calix, and in his spare time, he hosts a travel podcast out of office. He is currently the chief digital officer and founding partner at People First, formerly Main Street One which has been what I call consider a kind of a pioneer in the area of micro-influencing, and which we will talk about what they are doing over there today. He is also a friend with whom I have shared more than one martini. <laughs> <laughs> we are not drinking today, though. And <laughs> he was on episode number three of this podcast way back in the fall of 2020. And here we are into the, into the late 50s on this podcast. So welcome back to the podcast, Ryan Davis. Hey, thank you so much for having me back on. I I, I appreciate it. You know, this is a not many podcasts make it past fifty. So, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I know we I, I was we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, but a lot of them don't make it past three episodes, which is kind of I think what also happened with blogs in the beginning that a lot of people started them and then they just kind of disappeared. But but I I love doing this, so it continues to be a passion project, which is probably why it's. Not necessarily every single week, but we, we do we, we, we do our best over here, depending. Well, with all digital publishing, you know, consistency is so important. And so uh, as, as a podcaster myself, I know how difficult that can be. So, so kudos. Yes, right. That's what I listen to myself. I tell everyone to be consistent, but I'm not doing it myself. Anyway, so where are you? Where are you? Where are you today? I am at home in Bushwick, Brooklyn today, um, uh, enjoying the the sort of wet snowfall that has has begun. I know it's kind of crazy. It, it's been it was snowing a little bit here on the other side of the river, and um, now it seems like it's raining again. So you are the chief digital officer and founding partner at People First, which sounds so impressive to me. And, Thank you. Um, can you tell us what that means? Sure. So. About three years ago, um, we started uh, working on this project called Main Street One with uh, Curtis Hoagland, who's the uh, CEO and, and the founder. And um, basically the idea was that we were gonna listen to conversations happening on the internet around political and advocacy issues and use sort of the analysis to sort of uh, uh, let us know what the themes and messages are really resonating with with the audience and use that, use that uh, to counter disinformation or information that the uh, you know uh, agencies or or organizations wanted to push back on, so it was very much steeped in the idea that that folks were going to want to respond to the disinformation around their issue or their organization uh, uh, issues. But what we really found was, while folks were interested in disinformation, 
Um, what they really wanted was a better way to sort of tell stories around their issues in a positive, uh, sort of more proactive way. So um, what we've done really, I think, is pioneer a combination of social social media analysis. So what are, what are folks saying around your brand or organization? What are the things that are resonating, not resonating? Why are people feeling passionate? Why are people not engaged? Using using those feelings, those thoughts, those 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 phrases, turning it into creative briefs, and decentralizing positive messaging using uh, micro creators, nano influencers, um, you know, real folks uh, to kind of create that content. And then taking the best of that content and amplifying it through paid media and social channels. So that's sort of become, we've sort of become a content generation engine, um, you know, working with small creators for various brands and organizations. Can you, can you tell um, everyone who's listening, because they may not all know what, what you mean when you say micro-influencer and nano-influencer? Because I think when we hear the word influencer, we're thinking of those, only of those people who have these huge followings. Yeah, so I think the term influencer gets thrown around a lot. What, what we don't really do, and I don't think works that well, is capital I influencer marketing. Working with people who have hundreds of thousands to millions of followers, these tend to be pretty like loose ties. And we talk a lot about strong ties and loose ties uh, around sort of relationships. Um, but if you have you know millions of followers, those people are not listening to you every word in the same way that if you're a smaller creator. So we don't really focus that much on um, follower accounts. What we would consider a micro or nano influencer is probably one to one to a hundred thousand. It's probably the bulk of folks that we work with mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of followers. But everybody has influence. And, uh, you know, we, we, we think a lot about sort of the lack of trust that people have in institutions and brands and the media and government. Uh, what people do trust is each other. And this is a good thing. You know, society is built on trust. So it's uh, finding credible messengers to speak to speak to your audience. So, you know, we're doing a campaign with with White Castle. They they want to speak to people to gamers, right? Uh, so we actually find other people who are active on Twitch and TikTok around the gaming community to create this content that we then amplify back to them. So these folks don't have to have individually a ton of uh, followers, right? Because what we're trying to do is is jumpstart creative and get stuff that's going to work well, repackage as other media. So. I think back, I think it was back in 2018 um, when the New York Times first broke the story on how influencers were buying fake followers to boost their numbers. So can I assume that that's, are you, A, I have two questions here. Do you see that still happening as much with the bigger influencers? And is that something that has trickled down to these smaller influencers if they're still using it? Yeah, so I think that fake engagement, fake followers is a real problem in, in, in the influencer space. And it's one of the reasons why I'm way less interested in working with those macro influencers, those capital I influencers, because so many of their accounts are going to be followed by a mix of bots and, and dead accounts and, and, and things like that. It's, it's a real problem. Like, but, but, you know, most influencer agencies you're going to work with, including us, you know, have various ways that we analyze a creator's engagement to make sure that it is legitimate and that that the numbers are not inflated, both using our, our analysis tools that we've built. And we have uh, humans look at each account too to verify that people are real and they, who they say they are. Uh, you know, that's that's really important. I do think when you're dealing with people who are on, doing maybe their first brand partnership or, or haven't done many before, those folks are less likely to have uh, exaggerated results, fake followers, et cetera, because they're not you know, they're not professional influencers. They're not people who, they, they're a nurse who might make a brand post every couple months, 
versus somebody who is doing mostly brand posts and that's the way they make their living. So these are real people who become influencers. So I can sign up to be. An yeah, influencer? absolutely. I mean, you're 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 an influencer already. But uh, yeah, you could, <laughs> you could you could definitely uh, sign up. You know, we we've seen a, a great results working with with teachers, with with nurses, with um, you know members, community members, mothers, folks who just sort of can tell stories authentically. You know, I think so much of marketing is um, is is centered around like like so centered around the product that 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 people don't can't make an emotional connection to it so if you're working with like a real person who's talking about why xyz matters to them and mm-hmm. you're framing everything in that way you're getting a much more you're, you're getting people sort of cued in emotionally before you're going in for like the the hard sell so whether you be trying to get people to rally around a woman's right to choose in texas or trying to sell people tickets to a nascar event you know you, both of those things sort of apply mm-hmm. Do you vet these people? I mean, like you know me, so if I signed up, you, you, ha- you, I think I have some credential with you. But um, do you do any kind of vetting so that you're not getting, I guess, the trolls and? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we have both who are just uh, lo- people who are just looking to make money. I guess that's where I'm going with. Yeah, that. so we we have both machine vetting and 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 human analysts who who look at each account. So before a client, well, a client, you know, whoever's working with us, whatever the brand organization is. We bring the content to them. They, they get the chance to look at it, to make very specific uh, adjustments. They want to change copy, change images, want to adjust the way something's said. Everything goes through this sort of secure client portal where they can see everything, make those edits before anything goes live. Um, but each of the creators that we work with, before they get to that point, have already been vetted both by a machine and a human. And, and the way that you are onboarded into our system, um, we have to actually have your, your real name, your address, um, and all those things. So we, we know that people are real. We've done you know, lots of political campaigns where we wanted to make sure that folks were registered to vote. And so we've, we've done voter matches and things like that. So yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty uh, serious about the, the making sure that the people we present, we feel really confident that they are who they say they are. Yeah, I guess at some point, if you're going to be paying them, you need to get their social security number to give them that. Exactly. It's one of the one of the big benefits, um, you know, besides the fact that it's really hard to get users to make content for free. One of the big benefits of paying people is that it is an extra layer of vet and an extra layer sort of defense against the trolls. There, there you go. So you started with political. And I, I just I, I don't know how we can even have this conversation today, because as we're without talking about how influence is being used in what's going on in Ukraine right now, um, your thoughts? I'm just going to throw that out there because I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. know, I don't know how we can have this conversation. I really don't know how we can have a conversation like this today of all days. Um, we're seeing so many things happen two right weeks now. Into right? This. Mm-hmm. We're seeing so many things happen. We're seeing uh, Western social media companies like like Facebook and Twitter voluntarily restrict access. We're seeing the Russian government cut off access. So. Um, I think you've got two kinds of media situations. You've got the internal Russian media situation where, you know, the top-down media is mostly state-controlled. You've got balls being passed in Russia now where you can't speak the truth about the military invasion of of Ukraine. So if you're actually Russian right now, your information flow is really limited. And then on the West, we've got everything. We've got the Russian propaganda. We've got We've got, uh, you know, a largely pro-Ukrainian Western media. Um, you know, in, in, in these moments, everybody on Twitter becomes an expert. And, you know, we've got a lot of Soviet history experts uh, invented in the last two weeks. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it's really interesting. I, I, I really feel for 
you know, the Ukrainian people, obviously, but the, the Russians who have been cut off from, from reality, essentially, uh, both in their top-down media and in the, their heavy restrictions of the internet. That I think I was reading now that it really rivals like Iran and China when it comes to like real, a real internet shutdown there. Do you, are you finding some of the stuff that I was reading was, and, and I'm kind of seeing it myself, but I wonder what you think that since we've cuts the social networks have cut so much off from Russia that there are less bots and trolls and a lot less of the the fake conversation that 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 Russia was because they've clearly have they've we know this they've they've infiltrated our systems here and they've created a lot of social discourse intentionally through the use yeah. of social media yeah, no, I think that, you know, they've been very uh, skillful at creating uh, uh, conversations in the United States that have not been beneficial around elections and all sorts of issues. Yeah, so I, I think I think that it would be really interesting if there were uh, studies, and I haven't seen, that, that showed an actual drop in bot activity, like, like you know, post-invasion, post post, post all, the, all the shutdowns. So, um, you would have to imagine, though, that that the groups of people dedicated to, to doing that are busy doing something else right now, too. I mean, the actual um, facility that that the Russians have that they run all these sort of troll accounts. I mean, there's a lot of real people. It's like a massive call center. Right. It's very it's a it's a very intense, well-run operation. So just in terms of the bandwidth, I'm sure that that they're not not as focused on the United States right now. Interesting. So what do you think about, I mean, we've so much conversation has also been around Zelensky and how, and his own use of social media. I mean, being someone, you've been in this for two decades yeah. now. Wow. Unbelievable for someone who looks so young to me right now. <laughs> well, you know, what's really interesting about him is that he's like a, a media personality, right? So he comes from television and from mm -hmm. comedy and, and he's bilingual. He speaks, well, he might probably more than bilingual, but he speaks Russian and Ukrainian. Um, he's known to Russian audiences and his, you know, he's young enough that his use of social media is is more in like the digital native space. So when he's doing, you know, his live address from from downtown Kiev, you know, he really understands the power of those images and those words and the and the video and how to release it. And I think you're seeing somebody who, you know, if it's like it's like if somebody like AOC was in such a situation and somebody who really knows how to communicate online. Mm -hmm. um, it's powerful. And I think that you, you're, you know, when, for all the, you know, for, for all the negative things that Trump did online with his media and, and understanding of, of, of how to communicate and all these platforms, you know, you, you're getting now to see the positive and like what a, what a leader can do if they're, in, you know, using these, these networks to get, you know, on the right side of history. So. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I, I had to talk about this and I'm thinking as we I started to ask you questions, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to, I'll veer back to, to, two people fit first. And actually I want to talk about your rebranding as well. But um, I think the same thing, you know, when I teach social media and the brand now, I always start the semester off with my love hate relationship with social media. And um, because we've seen so much negative as well, but this is an example of how it's, being used in a positive way to um, to really inspire not just the Ukrainian people behind Zelensky, but it's really inspiring the whole world right now, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, you know, social media is a tool. It's a platform. It's agnostic about about how it's used. So it's up to the humans and the people using it uh, to make sure that 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 they are pushing 
the positive information, the right information, not sharing, not sharing garbage. So it's up to each and every one of them. And look, you know, I have shared things that, that in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have shared, you know, one of the worst, you know, every morning when you wake up and you get your notification on Facebook and it's showing you your, what you said 13 years ago or something. <laughs> I hate it's that. Like, it's like, I'm not a fan of that Ryan Davis. Um, <laughs> But I think it's up to all of us to, you know, promote positive discourse on on these networks and and make sure we're sharing good information, especially when you're dealing with something as as you know traumatic and and, and terrifying as this war in, in Ukraine. So, um, you know, I mean, we, we just got through. Well, I, I say we just got through COVID. We're hopefully, you know, uh, getting through COVID, and the disinformation that was. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable what unbelievable. the kind of stuff that was was out there. So. Which is part of the reason why why it, it lasted so long, yeah. um, in in my opinion. So that kind of goes back to well, you can bring it back to your, to what you're doing right now because you actually rebranded from Main Street One to People First. So we're actually talking about real people right now. So can you talk about why you did that and? Yeah, so I, you know, when we when we first got started, we were we were very much focused on advocacy. And politics, and you know, we thought that Main Street One was a generic enough name that um, you know folks wouldn't really have to ask any questions about it. We could kind of operate in the background and, and work for organizations. As we started to get into the corporate world and realized sort of where we were going to fit, even in our political and advocacy work, uh, we, it was all about people—the people we were working with—and um, so. We felt like this was just a more forward-looking uh, version of the brand that I think reflects the work that we've really ended up doing. We sort of started off with like a sort of matrixy disinformation, dark web kind of look, and now it's a much brighter, um, you know, happier look. And we're, we're, you know, what we're trying to do is advance these positive narratives on behalf of organizations and and, and brands. So I think it's it really fits. You know, the people are the message. The people are the the messengers. Um, it, it, you know, it, it really kind of brings it all together. Yeah, I think that's a lot of uh, something that a lot of people don't realize about social media is that, A, we all have a role in it. And by emphasizing the more positive, we can change some of the negative discourse. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, or, this or is Or am why... I just being idealistic? Am I just being idealistic no, I... in that I, look, I, I I often talk about like the conservative versus like uh, liberal internet battles as as like a war of attrition. So if you look at the sheer amount of content that Trump produced in 2016 versus what the Democrats put up, um, you know, you see a very real difference in the amount of content being produced. And I, one of the reasons why you know, we exist as an organization is that we were trying to think of ways to decentralize the Democrats' message in the same way. So it's way more powerful to have a thousand people um, uh, in, in Oregon saying, hey, you got to go out and get your vaccine uh, from all walks of life, right? A thousand people from all walks of life posting you know, on the internet than it would be for the Oregon State Health Department to post that message, right? So that's mm -hmm. why we work with organizations that we can help them decentralize in their message and get it from the bottom up. So it's coming from voices and, 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 and in people's communities. And I think that's what, that's what's really powerful about, about the work that we're doing is that you know, we're we're doing we're 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 decentralizing these messages, and we're doing it at scale by working with you know hundreds and thousands of, of different folks in a campaign. And you're working with a lot of brands now as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've done some really interesting work with with White Castle and and NASCAR and uh, a couple of financial institutions and insurance companies. So, you know, I think that there are ways to use this strategy 
for a lot of different organizations. Everybody's got a different audience that they're trying to reach. Everybody's got a different, you know, due to their audience has a different messenger. So like, you know, it might make sense to have gamers talking to your audience. It might make sense to have uh, first time home buyers uh, talking to, to your audience. So it's really like, you know, finding people that experiences match the, the kind of audiences you're trying to, to reach and have a conversation with. And you really play on that network effect in that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that it's all about the network effect. In fact, we've done campaigns where we've asked people to, you know, tag three friends who might be interested in this. We've done campaigns where we've asked uh, people as well as posting this on Instagram, you need to text it to 10 friends. That's something we've done a lot around voter registration, voter mobilization. So yeah, it's how do you get those networks uh, activated? And, you know, we've built this massive influencer database, creator database, right? And we do a lot of it all for referrals. So we'll work with somebody and we'll say, you're great. Do you have any friends or family who you know, might be interested in participating in similar campaigns? And so we're actually building, you know, everyone we organize with. And, you know, a lot of influencer platforms are just a platform. People log in and they put their content and that's about it. Well, I really brought to this when we were starting a, a, a organizing mindset. So we have organizers. So, you know, if, if you're trying to reach like the, you know, Democratic Attorney General's Association, they wanted to reach Native Americans in Montana to talk about public lands. Not a lot of those folks are going to be in the commer big commercial databases of, of, of creators. So mm -hmm. we get organizers to go out into the actual Internet and find people having these conversations on on forums, on, on, on Reddit, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, anywhere we can go. We find those folks who are, who are passionate about um, the issue already, who, who are already being articulate and interesting about it and say, hey, work with us to make a professional piece of content. So, you know, it, it, you, I think that, you know, so many brands think that they're going to be able to automate their way into kind of creator influencer relationships. And I really think it's, it's, it's going to, it has to be person to person. Oh, gosh, you know how much that makes my heart go, the idea that, because I get worried too, that, you know, we're looking at automating everything and yes, technology and data is all so important, certainly in the marketing world today, but you can't discount the human factor. Yeah, no, I think, I think the human factor becomes more important in a world of automation, right? Where, where everyone's getting these personalized ads that have their name and, and, and you know, uh, all, all these things that, that are, are fake authentic, right? It's, there's nothing authentic about that. It might have been interesting a couple of years ago, but, but I think most consumers understand now what, what, what's going on and they're no longer that impressed. And so to recenter it on people, I think, is, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I use that word a lot too. You can't you know, fake authentic. You can't pretend to be authentic. It's it just does it just does it does not work at all. Um, what happens when a person doesn't have that many followers? How does that work? Well, you know, we we generally work with folks who start around at a thousand followers. Um, but there are a couple of different ways that the content is really valuable. And the first thing is that the the client owns the rights to the content, so they can take that content. We've had people use it on, on uh, Amazon landing pages, people holding product. We've had people use it in emails. We've had it on billboards. We've, we've, we've had uh, creators make content that ends up on, on television as advertising. So there's a lot of ways that content can be repurposed. The second thing is, is what's really happened with the uh, various social media platforms is they, they're allowing this thing called creator whitelisting, which allows the creator to tag in paid partnership with brand XYZ. And that piece of content becomes a ad unit that is available on the back end. And this works on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, on Meta, as, as, as we now say. Um, and you're actually able to boost that post 
directly from that person's Instagram handle. So Joanne, you post something about XYZ. We take that post as a piece of content and we can scale it to you know whatever audience you can imagine on, on Facebook. So take somebody who has 1500 followers, um, you know, they're a special ed teacher and they're talking about um, how they're saving for retirement. You know, that person is going to have direct influence over, over uh, you know, their, their followers. They're going to know this person well. When we scale that, we're scaling it to other special ed teachers who might be considering retirement. So it feels like it's still coming from their community. It still feels very personal. Um, but we've been able to take that, that influencer, that creator who has a thousand mm-hmm. followers and, and put that out in front of 150,000 people. And, and I'm going to, I'm assuming that these creators and these influencers, just like all influencers, have to identify that this was paid content. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, through the paid partnership tag and, and through the using very, the various mm-hmm. hashtags, there are two types of rules. It's actually interesting um, or interesting for your audience, maybe not for everybody, but there are two <laughs> types of rules you have to deal with, right? You've got the FTC, like the regulations, mm-hmm. and then you've got the various platform rules. So Twitter's rules and Facebook's rules. And so we're taking into account all that stuff when we're building campaigns and making sure that everything's compliant. Everything is compliant. I want to go back for a minute to the network effect because I'm not sure everybody understands who's listening, what that actually means in, in plain. We talk about it a lot, but could you, and that really applies so much to what you're doing. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, the way to really boil it down is, is, is word of mouth. So, you know, I'm talking to you, you're talking to people and you've got that chain of conversation, right. And everybody has a sphere of influence or, or people that they know in their, in their, in their lives and engage with, um, you know, and that, and that really depends on, on, on what they're up to. Um, and, and so you've got that initial sphere of influence, but then you've got your networks beyond that, your second and your third degree connections. And I think like LinkedIn shows this really well, right? Where you, you're, you're friends with Bob and you can see that Bob knows 10 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're doing is we're, we're trying to create content that is highly shareable and personal. Uh, so folks engage with it as they would regular content, not with an ad and they'll retweet it or they'll share it or they'll, or they'll, or they'll uh, you know, uh, have conversations around it uh, in, in ways that you wouldn't uh, typical advertisement. And I think, you know, one of the we've kind of been trying to think a lot about how do we make our reporting better? How do we how do we deliver clients like results that 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 really makes sense? So we've started doing this really interesting thing where every single comment on, a, on an ad or a piece of content we place we ingest all that data into our system and we're able to look at the comments at scale. So as opposed to just saying, you know, this got uh, 1,700 comments and this got 1,500 comments and here was the engagement rate, we give you all that data. We're also able to say, and 20% of these folks expressed purchase intent and 15% of these folks wondered about XYZ. So we're actually able to go into those comments and pull out actionable intelligence that uh, can go back to the brand with, which is really exciting. That is really exciting. Um, TikTok is poised to become the number three social network in the U.S. What do you think about? Do you think it's good? I, do you think anyone's going to ever surpass Facebook? I, I'm not. I can't see how it's going to happen at this point, but it could, I suppose. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think everything's everything's just a matter of time. You know, Facebook will continue to be the biggest social network for the foreseeable future. I think TikTok's amazing, but if you look at the demographics of TikTok, it's still a relatively young platform. If you mm-hmm. if you want to reach a, bro- a broader swath of, of Americans, you need to be on Instagram or, or, or Facebook. Um, but TikTok is where we're seeing a ton of creative energy, working with TikTok creators who, who are making content. Then you take that content that, that's playing well on TikTok, and it, it looks great as advertising through Instagram or Facebook Reels or Stories. So 
you know, even, even if uh, you're working, even if you're trying to reach an audience, that's not necessarily on TikTok, you can use TikTok as sort of that creative engine and then, and then uh, syndicate that content elsewhere. But one thing I do, I do think uh, a mistake that, that, that brands make is that you can, you can be very, you can, you can lean towards one network or another, and we're pretty holistic. So we're thinking about where does that audience live? Not mm-hmm. like what network are we going to play on? So, um, you know, we, we create content for pretty much every social network out there. There you go. The TikTok is kind of amazing. I have a student right now who started a TikTok account during the pandemic to keep himself occupied about his dog. And he now has over 110,000 followers. And I don't. Is he doing brand partnerships yet? You're not going (laughs) to. I asked him that the other day and I don't think he's quite there yet. Should I have him sign up? I should tell him to sign up for your. I will definitely. I'll make him listen anyway. He's in my class right now. So he knows. Now he's going to know exactly what I'm talking about without mentioning a name. But But I was really impressed. TikTok is exciting because of the way they, that that the um, discover feature works. So you don't have to have that many followers. If mm-hmm. you use the right song and the right hashtag and you're talking about the right thing in the right moment, you know, the, the ability to go viral is so high on TikTok um, for, for folks starting out that I, I feel like, you know, there's less when you start on Twitter or Instagram, you know, it's a long hill to climb before you start to get anybody to pay attention. Mm-hmm. But TikTok, you could go out the gate on day one with the, with the video and you could you could be a star overnight. So that's kind of exciting. Well, I think even from for myself, from a consumer standpoint, and I post no content on TikTok, but I do consume a lot, which I think is an interesting I, I'm curious to see what kind of data is going to show up on that, because I know I'm not alone in terms of that particular social network being a consumer and not necessarily a creator. Well, they know it too. They're they're leaning in on longer videos, right? Like they they know that there are lurkers out there like you and me (laughs) who have (laughs) accounts. I don't, I've never made a TikTok, but I have a TikTok and I follow Mm -hmm. folks. And um, yeah, I I bet you'll see that similar to like a lot of social networks like that 5% super users, 15% heavy users, and then sort of everybody else. And, and, And everybody else. But I do find the algorithms um, much more enjoyable, kind of the way Twitter was in the beginning, where I could go on and really find interesting stuff and not just, oh, you're connected to Ryan and this is what Ryan said today. Not that I don't want to hear what you said, but you know, it's constantly the algorithms on Twitter and Facebook are just being driven based on not just my interests, but what's happening with my, my connections. And yeah, that, no, that, so that it, doesn't it, always work for me. Yeah, so it's like YouTube and Tumblr in the way mm-hmm. that it's it orga- it's organized around the content and not organized around the yeah. the user, which is cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for forever, um, but I know you're a busy man, <laughs> even though you're working from home today. All right, that's one question that before now that we're coming out of before I get into my lightning round here, as we're coming out of the pandemic, are you forcing people to go back to the office, or how are you doing that? No. So, you know, we were one of the lucky organizations that was already remote and decentralized um, before the pandemic. And, you know, we scaled pretty rapidly during the pandemic from like 15 employees to over 50 right now. Um, And we're all decentralized. You know, there's a bunch of New Yorkers, a bunch of folks in D.C., Chicago, but spread all over the, the country. So it's fun in the in the morning to watch the various green lights on Slack light up as the sun comes up across the country. Um, but yeah, I think because of the nature of our work, it, it, it really lends itself to being decentralized. So uh, a lot of folks are traveling now and enjoying, enjoying their uh, freedom. <laughs> including, including you, who we know loves to travel because you have a whole podcast on that. <laughs> I do. Uh, out of office. Folks should check of- it out. 
out of office and I'll make sure I have that in the show notes. Okay. So I would like to finish up with a little lightning round of just final sure. questions. Okay. Um, I might know this answer already. Now I don't know. Your favorite social network? Gosh, that's, that's tough. Probably still Instagram. You know, I think Instagram in its purest form of just beautiful photos uh, is, is really my happy place. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I concur. Something people would never guess about you. Ooh, um, I'm petrified of roller coasters. I, I, I've only been on like half a roller coaster in my life and it's just, uh, it's not my thing. I don't like heights or speed. So it combines those two things, I guess. Uh, I don't like yeah. roller coasters either, but <laughs> I, I don't understand how you were only on half of one. <laughs> I mean, it was like a kid's roller coaster, so oh. I don't count it. I oh, don't okay. count it. I thought it, it was like something. It didn't flip. It didn't it did. flip. <laughs> um, the last series you binged? Oh my gosh, I just uh, finished a, a, a wild series on HBO called The Tourist, um, which is an Australian series about a guy who, it's sort of memento meets, um, oh gosh, uh, like it's it's it's, it's like a film noir sort of thriller about a guy who's lost his memory and he's in this town and he's discovered that he's part of some sort of criminal enterprise, but he doesn't know who he is and what he's done. And it's got sort of like a Fargo situation, the most Fargo of the series, but a lot of fun. It's six episodes. You know, they struggle with the ending, like a lot of series, but the first four are just terrific fun. Dive right into it. Um, the most app, most used app on your phone? Um, gosh, it depends on the day. I mean, it goes, it's probably like a Twitter or, or Slack, I think are probably my, my two addictions. Um, I have, I have pop-ups when I go over 30 minutes on Twitter or Instagram that says like, you've been on this app for more than 30 minutes today. So I try to keep it, I try to keep it down. Oh, that is very, I never thought about that, about actually setting those tools up. Very impressive, Ryan. I'm, I'm impressed with that one. <laughs> um, he's focused. That's because he's got a big job. Um, food you cannot live without. Uh, New York pizza. New York pizza. It's Let what, me specify what, that for those who are not in yeah. New York. <laughs> no, I crave it when I'm not in New York and I, you know, it's just, they don't know what they're doing outside of New York about pizza. <laughs> they certainly don't. Anything you're going to miss as we move out of this life with COVID, which I'm almost afraid to say out loud, but um, we're so focused on what's going on in Ukraine that I think we've forgotten about COVID. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to my friend group. You know, I, I really enjoyed meeting up with people outside and doing all these hikes and stuff. And uh, I have not been able to get anyone interested since the indoor world returned. So hopefully as the weather gets nicer out here on the East Coast, um, I'll be able to convince some people to hit some of these beautiful trails upstate with me. And what motivates you to get up in the morning? Knowing that I have a call in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works. <laughs> um, you know, I was doing this thing for a while where I was waking up early and trying to read for a solid like 45 minutes, but I felt falling out of that. But I might get back into that because I feel like that sets, sets set my day off in a, a more thoughtful direction. Yeah, because you know, you get online, you start your emails and your slacks, and all of a sudden your brain's in a thousand places. And so it's like focusing for forty minutes isn't isn't a bad thing. I have no kids, or you know, so I can <laughs> yeah, no, life. no, no, no. I, I've I've tried the reading, but I I try the writing. That's really if I do that before I get onto the email. I'm but as soon as you get into the email, you're, it's 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 a slow sink down. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Um, any, um, any creators out there? What, where should I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. 
yeah, you can find me at Ryan New York on pretty much every every platform and um, check out peoplefirst.cc for more information about what we're up to. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>